Thank you and welcome to the 21st annual International Forum on Quality and Safety in Healthcare. I'm Fiona Godley, I'm Editor-in-Chief. Don't worry, this the is the Making the Difference podcast. You are in the right place. It's just everything that I'm bringing you this week is from the International Forum on Quality and Safety in Healthcare, or just the Forum, which was in Gothenburg a couple of weeks ago. As ever, I'm Harriet Vickers, and this podcast is brought to you from BMJ Quality. There was so much going on at the Forum, so many amazing people there. Days out to see the best bits of Swedish healthcare, 800 posters and their authors to learn from, a debate on efficiency versus innovation, brilliant speakers from all sorts of perspectives and backgrounds. It was really difficult to know what to bring back for all of you. But I decided to use the opportunity to go back to the roots of quality improvement, look at the foundations of QI and the thinking and the science behind it. What is quality improvement? I was told the person to talk to was Fiona Moss, mostly because she just gets quality improvement. She's a respiratory physician, but she's always had an interest in QI and education. Her official credentials are that she's Dean at the Royal Society of Medicine in England, and she was also editor of B&J Quality and Safety Journal. Here's what she had to say when I asked her about the origins of quality improvement, where it all began. I think the ideas of quality improvement started in, in, in industry. However, I think all those working in healthcare have always wanted to do the best for their patients. So I, I think it's not to say that, that doctors and other healthcare professionals haven't been interested in the quality of care they give to patients. They have. I think they have, they've almost, through the centuries, have believed passionately in that. I think the important difference is that we look after individual patients and we're taught very well to look after individual patients. What we're not taught about, and I think we're much less sensitive about, is the importance of the organisational context around which the patient is looked after. So although we think it's the doctor-patient relationship, the nurse-patient relationship, actually it's how we as a team of people link together to look after that patient that is so important. And if you look at where we've had disasters, for example, the mid-staffs, it probably wasn't about individual people not knowing enough. It was about how they worked together, and they, they obviously didn't work together in any way that, that was functional. So I think for us as healthcare professionals, it's important to realise if we want to improve care, we have to improve the organisation of care. And that's a bit that has come from industry. So the first things of in the 80s, I suppose, was the idea that actually we should start to look at what it is that we do. And then you can make an assessment as to why it is that doesn't happen, and then to make the organisational change that will improve things. So what is that methodology and has that been the same since the 80s? Has it always been this idea of plan, do, study, act cycles? How has it developed? Well that's a very good question and I think Don Bowick's um, session yesterday was I think rather a, a very good review of, of the science behind it. I think it's, it's, there isn't a single method. We are very good at the statistics of randomised control trials and statistics of significance but there's a different um, numerical approach that we should be taking to how we look at uh, the work that we do. Uh, the healthcare professions are not particularly fluent in that. And I think there are colleagues that are actually very suspicious of it. Because you can't do a randomised control trial. I mean, this is not, that, is, this is, that is not the methodology for quality improvement. OK, so it is quite a different thing from science then, as, as I would understand it. It's a different sort of science. OK. 
it's a different sort of science. So it's not, it, you know, it is research. It does have a science. There is a basis for this. There is a, it is a methodological approach. It's not, it's not somebody putting a finger in the wind and saying, oh, actually, I think we should do it this way. And it's, but it's also in the psychology of how people work together. It's a rather eclectic science that actually takes um, its origin from a range of different um, academic disciplines. It's a magpie. It's a magpie science. <laughs> and it sounds very collective. Fiona wasn't the only one at the forum to reference Don Berwick's talk. So many people I spoke to said his talk was a big highlight and really inspired them and helped them understand quality improvement. He explained what's in that magpie's nest. He broke down how to view systems and organisations so that we can go about improving them. At least he explained W. Edwards Deming's ideas for how to do this. Deming was an American engineer, statistician, author and management consultant who died 20 years ago. And he came up with four lenses to view the world through, or through which to view our hospitals, clinics and organisations. Here's Don on the first, which is understanding variation. A bit of context before I drop you into Don's talk. He's just demonstrated a production line where the workers are rewarded or punished by their boss for how many blue beads they can scoop out of a pot. Except they have little control over this, as actually how many blue beads they get is mostly down to the mix of coloured beads in the pot. It's random, and not down to their skills or how hard they work. Oh, and you'll hear the name Walter Schuhart. He was a contemporary of Deming, and Deming built on his work. Over to Don. Well, here's this stupid boss. Think about it. I'm looking at these numbers. They're random numbers. And I'm rewarding and punishing and promoting and criticizing. Is there anything wrong with that? To have a whole uh, system which is responding to random variation as if it were systematic is really dumb. And Walter Schuhart said, stop it, stop it. We have tools, we have methods in which we can actually look at the numbers and by studying the system, we can determine if it's random. That's the breakthrough. What he observed was that Bell Laboratories, everybody's running around all the time responding to randomness. And he said, be really careful. There are some kinds of variation that are common cause. It's all in the system. Schuhart did something better than that though. He said, sometimes something non-random happens. Sometimes there's an event in a system which is so out of, the, out of expectation that it isn't the system talking to us. It's the non-system. Something new happened. The power went out. A genius arrived. Uh, the saboteur is there. Something's weird. Think of a kid riding a bike. So here's a novice riding a bike. You ever seen a little kid on a bike? And, and you watch them on the bike, and they get on the bike, and they go like this. What's going on? Little tiny variations, and he's responding to all of them. That's responding to randomness. Uh, a mature bike rider doesn't look like that. They hold the bike and there's very gentle adjustments, but not this reaction. That's overreaction to random variation. And then there's another kind of variation, which is the bike hits a log. Well, darn well, if the kid's bike hits a log, he better do something. Because the log isn't part of the standard process. It's a special cause. It's a special process. And Schuart said the whole job in interpreting variation is to know the difference between random variation and special variation. Special variation, oops, there's a log, or something happened. What could we learn from it? Maybe it's something really great that happened that we can learn from. Be surveillant. But don't keep adjusting when things are random. That's the first of Deming's lenses, understanding different types of variation and how to respond to them. Next, your system. You need to understand your system. 
Deming said, if you can't describe what you're doing as a process, you don't know what you're doing. The problem is the complexity of systems. If I drew a picture of your operating room or your community health work and obesity or your attempt to prevent HIV AIDS, that's what it looks like. Systems are really messy things and anybody that comes in with a linear idea that it's the workers that do it and we have to try hard and give them the right incentives, which is the hegemonic view of policy today, create the incentives and everything will happen, absolutely not. That's a bankrupt theory because we, the system dynamics matter a lot. They, they, they matter in very complicated ways. We have tools. We, we can get to systems. These guys could get to systems. Knowledge is there. IHI uses driver diagrams. That's just one little tool. It helps you begin to do what Deming said. If you don't understand the system, you don't know what you're doing. So let's get an image of the causal stuff. Maybe it's going to look really, really messy like this. Maybe it, we can make it a little more orderly, but the inquiry about causation and the working with multiple causes and networks of systems is the second science. It's really hard. So you need to understand your system and the influences within it. Even though systems can be big and messy, getting to grips with them isn't easy. Deming's next lens is how we learn, how knowledge grows. Third science. I call it a theory of knowledge. I don't remember what Deming's term was. It means growth of knowledge. And here's the problem. If it's simple, does aspirin cure headaches? The growth of knowledge is pretty clear. Give some people aspirin, other people not. Double blinded, do a randomized trial, and you understand does aspirin cause headaches. But that's not how knowledge grows in most systems. The system I always use to describe this is my marriage. Uh, 40th anniversary coming up. Thank you all very much. Um, <laughs> the last slide is my home address. You're welcome to send me anything you like. I will say, uh, even though Anne's not here today, my marriage has gotten better every year. Um, and, and I'm so thrilled with that. Never, ever, ever have I given my wife a questionnaire or scored it. Uh, we don't have a linear system. It's like every day is a new day and we have to understand the dynamics of what's going on. And Peter Senge's view is the only way to learn in a complex system is through constant empirical experience digested, but not, not confined. And so the question is, what is the learning system in a complex system? Well, the best example I've seen uh, came from our colleagues, the Associates in Process Improvement, API. Having a way to think about the way you're going to learn when things are really complicated is important. And this model is pretty simple. It says, well, when you're trying to learn in a really complex environment, decide what you're trying to make better. How would you know if you got better, is the, is the question. And, and then find a different way to do it. Find a different supplier. Move your positions on the handlebars. Speak to your wife differently tomorrow morning. Just find a change that's worth doing. Where do you find the change? Hey, got 3,000 people here, 600 posters, lots of changes in this room. You, you open your mind. You begin to look for possible things that are worth trying. But you're not going to do a randomized trial. You're not going to do an experiment. You're going to put it to work. Get on the bike. See if you can do it. And, and that's plan, do, study, act. Trial after trial after trial after trial, building confidence in the real world. It's the only learning system that can work in a complex nonlinear environment. And lastly, lens four, how people think, psychology, probably the part of QI science that is most alien to those of us brought up on the classic scientific method. Here's Don's take. I saved the hardest one for last, and it's the most elusive in Deming's area of profound knowledge. He called it psychology. 
Frederick Winslow Taylor had a psychology. He said, hardly a competent workman can be found who does not devote a considerable amount of time to studying just how slowly he can work and still convince his employer he's going at a good pace. We set the standards, we set the manual, we say, follow the rules and we're watching because hardly a competent worker may be found who isn't trying to get away with something. Carrots and sticks, rewards and punishments, pay for performance. Doctors get arrogant and say, you're trying to control me. Managers get scared and, and invasive, saying, why aren't you doing what I want? The behaviors are negative. Depression, combat, control. I prefer a leadership system which has a different theory of motivation, a different science of motivation. We need a mental context, a theory of human beings, which is more respectful of the way human beings really are, not the way we have been taught to regard them by blunt economic theory. So we've got it. A theory of motivation that is sophisticated, and the key book here is Douglas McGregor's uh, The Human Side of Enterprise, which he lays out the two ways to behave. Uh, theory X, management controls through incentive. Theory Y, management is there to support the intrinsic value of the human spirit. That was a whistle-stop tour of the science of quality improvement. Don said you can spend 10 years studying it and that there's great depth to these ideas and theories. But he also said that even the first level of understanding can be really practically useful. So I hope we've given you that here. That was just a portion of Don's talk and also of my chat with Fiona Moss. So if you found this podcast interesting, watch out for the full extended versions that we're going to be posting on the SoundCloud page next week. The week after that, so in a couple of weeks from now, we'll be back and looking at patient experiences as recorded by doctors at the forum. Back soon. Random, 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 random. It, I mean, look, it, it doesn't look, is it random? I mean, look at, look at, uh,